everyone, and welcome to the Where Are They podcast. I am your host, Jennifer, and this episode will feature the unsolved disappearance of two-year-old Tika Lewis from Tacoma, Washington. Our podcast goal is to spread awareness and bring attention to these unsolved cases. As always, we encourage you to share and spread the word of any of the missing persons cases we cover, and make sure you are following us for important updates, which we will share as we receive them. The cases of missing children really get me, not just because they are children, but because a little child, a baby, or a toddler in this case, cannot just disappear from a busy place without an adult playing a role in that. Sometimes adult cases are mysterious. They could be lost. They could have gotten lost. They could have chosen to leave on their own accord. They could have committed suicide, or they could have been kidnapped. There's just a ton of scenarios. In the case of a two-year-old in a crowded place, another person had to be involved in this disappearance. On January 23rd, 1999, Tika Lewis was an innocent, shy, adorable little two-year-old girl. She was a mama's girl through and through. If another family member or friend even tried to hold her or came too close to her, Tika would cry and scream. She only wanted her mom. She was a beautiful little girl with very distinctive features. She had a mixed ethnic background of Caucasian, Black, and Native American. Tika's mother, Teresa Lewis, had five children in 1999. That cold winter evening in January, Teresa, her children, and some other relatives went to the Frontier Lanes bowling alley in Tacoma. It was league night, a Saturday night, and pretty crowded. Like many bowling alleys, this one had a small arcade, a bar, a restaurant area, and this Saturday evening in particular was super busy. Tika had been playing a few yards away from where the family was bowling at the foot of a video game machine, which was also only a few feet from a side door entrance. Teresa turned to watch her son bowl. After he bowled, she turned back to check on Tika, expecting her to still be at the video game, and she was not there. Immediately, Teresa hurried over Still expecting her to be there, maybe she had seen another video game that caught her attention or something else that sparked her interest, but there was no Tika. After a minute, Teresa became frantic and began calling Tika's name. She even darted out the side door entrance, but quickly realized that door was way too heavy for a two-year-old to push open. Teresa was especially frantic because she knew how shy Tika was and how she would never just walk away from her. She would definitely not just wander off in a crowded place, especially where she couldn't see her mom. So now the family had joined in on the search, and they let the bowling alley workers know that little Tika was missing. Interestingly, there are conflicting reports about what happened next. Some reports state, as does the bowling alley, that they made an announcement over the speaker system that a girl was separated from her family and for everyone to be aware and look out for Tika. This makes perfect sense. This is absolutely what the bowling alley probably should have done. Except while researching this case, I found some conversations on Tika's Facebook page 
from people that were at the bowling alley that night. Several of them said they never heard any such announcement, and if they had, everyone would have stopped what they were doing to find this child. In fact, one woman said as she left the bowling alley later on that evening, she saw police in the parking lot and knew something was going on, but she had no idea until the next day when she saw it on the news that there was a child missing. When the police showed up at the bowling alley, they began an immediate search of the area, including the roads nearby, just in case she had gone off wandering. But Teresa was positive that that wouldn't have happened since Tika was so shy and reserved. Some reports show they even brought a search dog out that night, but the dog was unable to pick up a scent. Since Teresa was adamant that Tika wouldn't wander off and must have been taken, the police began to stop and search each and every car as they left the bowling alley. They looked in the back seat. They had them pop the trunks, looking at every possible person. Now, I always say it's really easy for us to play armchair detective and say what police, the bowling alley, even the family should be doing in these cases. And constructive criticism is usually welcome as we learn from these situations and how they can be handled in the future when something happens. But in a lot of these cases, especially the ones in which years have gone by, we have to remember we weren't there. It's hard to say how it should have been handled differently. But with that in mind, there is a lot of discussion about the police activity that night. Some people did remember their trunk being searched, but others did not. Many have criticized the police for not putting the bowling alley on lockdown and checking everyone there before they could even leave. A day or two after the disappearance, a woman came forward with what would be the first tip in the case. She said she saw a dark red Pontiac Grand Am speeding out of the parking lot, going so fast, in fact, it screeched tires as it peeled out onto the road. She thought at first just some rambunctious teenagers leaving the bowling alley on a Saturday night, but as she was watching news reports the following day and thinking about it, she realized it might have something to do with Tika's disappearance and called it in. Police put out a bolo, a be on the lookout for this dark colored Grand Am, but turned up nothing. Two months before Tika disappeared, in November of 1998, a young boy was actually molested in the bathroom of the Frontier Lanes bowling alley. There was a description of a man, a Caucasian man with a beard, but other than employees saying he looked familiar to them and they had seen him in there before, they didn't know anything about him, including his name, and they didn't see him in the bowling alley again after that. Then a couple weeks after that, Frontier Lanes had another incident. A Caucasian man with brown hair allegedly tried to lure a six-year-old boy out of the bowling alley, but was unsuccessful. This man also got away. And as if that's not enough, on the same day, Tika went missing. The very same day. A man had tried to lure two kids from a park less than one mile from the bowling alley. This man apparently fled in a blue Pontiac Grand Am when the kid's father went chasing after him. 
So is it possible the woman who saw the speeding car at the bowling alley thought she saw red, but it was really blue? She saw the car at night and it can definitely be hard to distinguish specific colors in the dark. And I definitely feel it's probably not a coincidence that it was a similar car description. Now, in the days afterwards, the police interviewed most people that were at the bowling alley that night. This bowling alley did not have surveillance video inside or outside, and no one came forward as seeing anything at all. Police asked everyone who was there if they had home videos or if anyone had shot any video at all or photographs that night that they could look at. It was league night and they were hoping to get some footage from the patrons of the bowling alley, but they were out of luck. Not one person had any video or pictures from that night. Police searched all local areas and neighborhoods, including the nearby landfill. Police questioned all area sex offenders and conducted searches of the area with helicopters, ATVs, and even on foot. No Amber Alert was issued as Amber Alerts weren't active in that area yet. Now, I was curious and looked it up, and it seems Amber Alerts went active in 1996, but many areas took a long time to initiate this process. Police do suspect foul play was involved, and Tika's mom believes she was abducted, but is alive. Family was quickly eliminated as a suspect, and Tika's father was actually in jail at that time. As days went on, no viable suspects or even persons of interest emerged. Soon the case went cold, but Teresa worked to keep her daughter in the limelight. As years went by and public hope dwindled, Teresa never wavered in her search for her daughter or in her belief that her daughter was alive. In January of 2020, a new cold case detective began looking over the case. He found an interesting interview that had never really been followed up on back in 1999, and he believes it could hold a key piece of evidence. One 17-year-old young man that is referred to just as John was at the bowling alley on the night of January 23rd. A few days after Tika's disappearance, he saw a report of it on the local news and he recognized Tika's face. He called the police and went in to make a statement. He remembered seeing a Caucasian man at the bowling alley with brown hair and pockmarks holding the hand of a little biracial girl. He remembered this man because this guy bumped into him and bumped him hard shoulder to shoulder, almost knocking him over, and then kept going. He was in a hurry, and John just thought it was a father rushing his little girl to the nearby bathrooms. This man never said excuse me or anything, and John remembered him even though the place was so crowded because of that encounter and because he was so rude. When John saw Tika's face on a TV news report, he recognized her immediately as the little girl he saw holding that man's hand. As the cold case detective dug further, he found another witness statement that came in a few days after the disappearance. There had been a reenactment held at the bowling alley, and there were several onlookers watching, as well as news cameras there. One person attending this event called in to report 
a suspicious man at this event. And guess what? They described this man as being Caucasian, brown hair, and having pockmarks. This cold case detective is certain that the description of pockmarks is key. If both witnesses thought this was a distinguishable feature, it must be an important clue. For some reason, these clues were never connected in 1999, which kind of baffles me that this info was never even put out to the public about this potential sighting. I just don't know how something that specific, especially two people reporting suspicious activity from a man with the same description. But unfortunately, no one ever put it together and that information never made it public. So what are the theories in this case? Theory number one, Tika was abducted by a stranger. This is the theory that police believe. The other suspicious reports coming in around the same time involving children and the fact that they ruled out family members leads them to believe that it was a stranger abduction. Theory number two, Tika was abducted by someone who knew the family. There is a theory that it was someone close to the family who knew Tika and knew they would be at the bowling alley. This is usually the case in child abductions, so it's hard to rule this theory out. However, police have said time and time again, they have no evidence pointing to anyone close to the family and no persons of interest that they suspect in this case. The police don't think this is a theory. However, as I said, statistically, it's generally someone that knows the child in a child abduction, so it's hard to rule this out especially since we don't have any other concrete answers. Theory number three, Tika wandered off on her own. Let's face it, toddlers will be toddlers. But the personality of Tika being so shy and the fact that she wasn't big enough to open a heavy side door make this pretty unlikely. Also, the fact that the area was searched so well afterwards, perhaps with even a search dog and no sign of her was found, it is possible that someone was going out that side door and she was able to follow them and get outside while the door was open. But then what happened to her afterwards? Also, a lot of people might think at face value, the family might have had something to do with it here, as that is also a common theme, unfortunately, in these type of cases. However, the police have completely ruled them out and I can say through my research on this case, the mother has been a big advocate of finding Tika and keeping her case out there. She seems sincerely distraught over the loss of her daughter, as much so today as she did in 1999. She has done countless interviews. She has been on different news reports throughout the years, newspaper articles, magazine articles. She has done everything she can. She does run a Facebook page dedicated to spreading the word of Tika, and she's very active on that page, even as of current day. Teresa also recently submitted her DNA to a DNA database, hoping that one day in the future that could help solve this mystery. Even in the event that Tika is found not alive, the DNA and file can help them identify her. Even though they don't have Tika's DNA, having a close family member such as her mother's 
can help them identify Tika. Also, which is very interesting, police believe it is possible that somehow Tika ended up being adopted. There is now a system out there where adopted children who are now adults, as well as adults who had put up children for adoption, can submit their DNA in hopes of reconnecting with their biological mother or child. It is possible that if this is the situation here with Tika, that Tika could submit her DNA and it could be matched up to her mother. While it sounds a little bit far-fetched, maybe, there's a really interesting case I encourage you to look up out of South Korea. In 1976, a grandmother took two twin granddaughters, they were infants, to a market, became disoriented and somehow lost the children. They located one of the children shortly thereafter, but they never found the other child. This mother searched and searched and searched for her child for years. And just within the last year, the mother in South Korea submitted DNA to this database and there was a match. There was a young woman who had been adopted and was now residing in the United States who was on the search for her biological family. She had submitted her DNA and ultimately it was connected to her mother in South Korea. Because of the pandemic, she was unable to fly to South Korea to meet her biological mother, but they were able to connect via Zoom and have a reunion. And that's a pretty amazing feature to come out of this new system. So it is possible. So what do you think happened to Tika Lewis? Do you believe one of the theories or do you have your own theory? Do you think Tika could still be alive? If you have any information about Tika Lewis, please call the Tacoma Police at 253-798-4721 or the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children at 1-800-THE-LOST. Tika would be 24 years old today. She was only two years old when she went missing. Someone knows what happened at the bowling alley that night, and it's time to come forward. Please share this case and help keep it active in the media. Share this podcast or any articles that you may find on Little Tika. Thank you all for tuning in to this episode. Follow us on social media for case updates and announcements as we will share them with you as we receive them. And until next time, stay safe and hug your loved ones.